Bible, raise your hand. We're going to be opening up two passages. I saw one hand up. If you guys can grab a Bible, just simply raise your hand. We'll put one in your hand. We go verse by verse through the scriptures. Open with me. We start a new chapter in Luke, Luke chapter 11. Uh, and just put your thumb at Luke 11 and put another finger at uh, Matthew chapter 6. Luke chapter 11 and Matthew chapter 6. And we'll read Luke 11 first, which is our primary text, but I do want to read a couple of verses from Matthew chapter 5. I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 6, uh, which, which give a little context as well. Luke 11, starting in verse 1, a passage that many of you can probably cite. Matter of fact, uh, people that you know that aren't even Christians, that went to church many eons ago, can cite this passage. Uh, a lot of people can remember this from childhood. But let's take a look at starting verse 1, verses 1 through 4, Luke 11. Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Turn over to Matthew chapter 6, where the same model prayer is found, but uh, it's in a different context. It's not found... Uh, Jesus perhaps taught this more than once anyway, uh, but it's not found where the disciples come upon Jesus and he is praying. Uh, here he actually uh, gives this same manner of prayer, this same order of prayer, uh, but he does it in a context of really explaining that our prayer life is one of really being with God, but not hypocrisy. It's not some kind of public show. So let's take a look at what Jesus has to say here in Matthew chapter 6. He's starting verse 5. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say, they have their reward. But I say to you, when you pray, go into your room. When you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret, in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think they will be heard by their many words. Matter of fact, uh, we want to be careful not even to make this model prayer a vain repetition, um, because anything that just becomes repetition, uh, where there's really no heart and mind focused on it uh, is worthless. These two passages, they remind me of uh, something I read recently in a book. Richard um, Shume, in a, his writing, uh, Shoes for the Road, he tells a story about a uh, Scottish pastor. And this Scottish pastor who was praying week after week with long, verbose words most of the words that half the congregation didn't even understand the words he was using. Really, really big, big C.S. Lewis, William Shakespeare, Charles Spurgeon, you know, high intellectual words. And finally, uh, this one Scottish lady in the choir reaches out and like grabs him and, and just kind of shakes him and, and says, just call him father and ask him something. <laughs> Best Scottish accent I've got. <laughs> she's not entirely correct in her doctrine either, but she's somewhat more accurate than he is in having a long, drawn-out, public prayer full of big words. When she's right on this point, he just wants you to call him Father. 
and that they would have the same kind of asking and the same kind of communication that your kid, your kids aren't trying to impress you when they come have a conversation with you. Your parents are like, of course they're not. It's usually the opposite. Your small kids, they're not trying to really kind of impress you or anybody else. They're just really asking, can I have a drink of water? Can I have this? Can I have my fifth serving? Whatever it is. Now, the disciples, when they come upon Jesus, remember, we've got the two texts here. The, the model prayer is the same. If you go on and read the rest of it there in Matthew 6, with the exception of there's the addition at the end of verse 13, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Other than that, the prayers are identically the same, with the exception of Matthew uses slightly different words than Luke uses, but they're really in structure the exact same prayers with that last bit of addition uh, that Jesus shared there that Matthew gives us. But the disciples, when they come upon Jesus praying, well, first of all, when you're walking with Jesus, you're going to see him pray. This was such a big part of his life, going many times off by himself, early to pray. But they come upon him praying, and they see him praying, and there's no doubt that they themselves, they had prayed before. Would you agree that they probably prayed themselves at, at times? They had probably prayed many times, not just since they had met Christ, but likely even before meeting Jesus. Many of you prayed before you were ever a Christian. I meet people sometimes that, that uh, that's one of the inhibitors of them understanding the gospel. They say, well, I already pray. Well, that's not salvation, but that's a desire that you have or something or something you've been taught. But the disciples, they perhaps had prayed as young Jewish boys. Many of them were, were schooled uh, in Judaism and probably had prayed in that context. And yet they're asking Jesus, teach us. Teach us to pray. We have a lot to learn, don't we? I mean us. I mean the guy standing here and, and the guys and gals seated, at, seated in front of me. We have a lot to learn. We have a lot to learn about prayer, don't we? I'm a husband, but I'm learning to be a better one. I'm a father, but I'm learning to be a better one. I'm a pastor, but I'm learning to grow and be a, a more effective one and a better one. I don't know about you. Think of all the things that you do that you still know you can grow in, no matter how good you at, are at it. Ever had a hobby, and then you saw someone who actually knew what they were doing? I mean, really, you had a hobby. It was like when I started playing golf. Then I'd see someone, no, I play. This person actually knows how to play. Big difference. Yes, I can put the tee in the right place, put the ball in the right place, and the swing is not the same. And you find someone who really knows what they're doing, and they're really good at it. And I think this is kind of the disciples coming upon Jesus. Maybe they had begun to pray, but struggled in prayer. They had begun to pray, but sometimes it feels like it's just hitting the ceiling and coming back down. They had begun to pray or had tried to pray, but they had failed at praying. or weren't feeling any of the power of prayer. And they're seeing Jesus pray like, he'll know. He'll know how to teach us how to pray which would be a huge understatement. This is the Son of God. Now, Jesus knows they're going to stumble upon him at this right place too, doesn't he? He knows exactly that they're going to come upon him, and he's going to have the opportunity to take them from where they are in their prayer life at that point to where God wants them to get to. Now, every one of us here is at a different place in our prayer life, but there's no doubt that God wants to take wherever we're at and take us further for our benefit, and his glory. One thing about being a disciple, though, you actually have to want to learn. You notice they said, but go back to Luke 11. Go back to Luke 11. They say, teach us how to pray as John taught his disciples. You ever seen someone taught really well? Say, man, I... Uh, I had, a, I had a teacher, and they taught me this way, but then I heard about someone else's style, 
And wow, that is effective. And they would say, John taught his disciples how to pray. His disciples became people of prayer. Lord, help us to grow and become people of prayer. If you want to be a disciple, you're going to have to want to learn. You have to have a thirst to learn. And then you're going to have to want to apply what you've learned. It's one thing to learn something, but if we don't apply it, what have we really learned? It's just head knowledge then. I know how to do it. I just don't do it. I know what to do. I just don't do it. Lord, teach us how to pray. The Lord wants to teach them how to pray. He wants them to apply it. Let me ask you a question. Are you asking Christ to teach you? Not just prayer, although that's what we're talking about today. Are you asking, Lord, Lord, teach me these things? Teach me these things. Teach me these things that I really apply them. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty nine, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He's already given us that command. It's not just a command, but it's also a bidding, if you will. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. But we have to want to learn. We have to want to do these things. Every now and then I meet kids that I, I like to say, you excited about going back to school in January? That's when they get off their break, right? They're going to have a break soon. And nine out of ten times I hear, no. Every now and then I'll have a kid say, yes, I'm excited about it. They're the kid that asks the last question when you really want class to end. There's one more question and everyone else was hoping. Now the professor goes on for 20 minutes about that. But sometime along, somewhere along the way, the Lord wants us to acquire a thirst to learn from him, a thirst to learn from him, a thirst to know him, a thirst to grow in him, and a thirst to apply these things. Now Jesus in teaching here, two, archer, two overarching truths, if you're taking notes, I want you to... Um, Pay attention. Two overarching truths in this detailed instruction for our prayer life. Because he gives this detailed instruction. We're going to go through it uh, piece by piece. Number one of these overarching truths. Again, this is just kind of if there's a canopy over what he is about to do here. Number one, prayer is developing a deep and personal walk with God. Number one, an overarching truth across what he's shown in this outline. Prayer is a deep and personal walk with God. And number two, an overarching truth here that may be overlooked, but it's very significant. We are a connected family, and our prayer life will grow far beyond ourselves. We are a connected family, and our prayer life will grow far beyond ourselves. Why do I say that? Jesus starts off with this word, our. Not my, not I. Well, you just said it was personal. It is. It's personal and it's corporate. It's personal and it's beyond ourselves. It's, it's personal in the going, that's why I took us back to uh, Matthew chapter 6. What did Jesus say? The personal aspect is he said, in your prayer life, go privately away because you're not showing off. You're actually having personal time with God. That's the personal aspect of it. Go into your own prayer closet, uh, driving in your car all by yourself, going for a walk by yourself, being alone with the Lord, not trying to say, look at me, look at me praying here in the synagogue. That part is private. But there's a connected aspect, our Father, that our prayer life will grow beyond. The more mature we are, the more we're praying beyond ourselves and the more we're thinking our. Let's look at this prayer, this model. It's not the Lord's Prayer. Sometimes you'll actually hear people say, it's the Lord's Prayer. This isn't Jesus' prayer. He didn't ever have to pray about sin in his life. He is giving an outline for us. Never once did Jesus have to say to the Father, and forgive me of my sins. It's not 
the Lord's Prayer. It is a model for us, the model prayer, and we'll look at this uh, item by item. Let's start with um, his opening here. And when you pray, say this, Our Father in heaven. Taking notes number one, Our Father. I don't have an outline today. We're just going through the verse. Just going through the verses. Two overarching themes. I hope you wrote them down. But first, our Father. What does this mean? He starts with our Father. Well, this speaks to God's desire that we have two things. We have relationship with Him and submission to Him. Our Father. Relationship with Him. Submission to Him. Anyone that has a great relationship with their father is able to really talk about anything, but the son or daughter is still subordinate to the authority of the father. We see this in the Old Testament with Isaac and Abraham, right? Abraham was the father. Isaac was in relationship with his father, but subordinate to the authority of Abraham. Our Father, relationship. Seven times we're told that the actual words of Jesus, seven times in the New Testament, seven times we're told the actual words of Jesus that he used in his own prayers. And each and every time he used the word Father. So whenever he was talking to God in his own prayers, he was saying Father. Seven times. It was his relationship with his Father that was paramount. He only did the things that the Father asked him to do. He only did the things that were the will of the Father. He was in communion with the Father. Him and the Father were, he said, one, right? I and my Father are one. There was no separation. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are always together, and yet they each have their own individual place in the Godhead. If you don't understand that, join the club. The Trinity is far beyond our comprehension. I even stopped trying to train and figure all of this stuff out. We just understand that these things are true. But he instructs the disciples, and he instructs us to first, when we go to pray, to invoke that relationship that we've been born into, supernaturally born into. As he told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, unless a man is born again, can I enter into the kingdom of God? But to enter into the kingdom of God, we first have to be a son or daughter of God. So this would only apply to someone who is born again. Anyone praying this prayer is not going to have it work in their life until they've first been born again. Relationship. Now the disciples had that. They had already come to Christ. They had already come and said, Lord, we want to follow. They'd already given their lives to the Lord. But their relationship, as John writes in John 1.12, it says this is, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe on his name. Who has the rights to be the sons and daughters of God? Those that believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, whom the Father sent. Galatians 3.26, for ye are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Sons, daughters, family. When you get to heaven, it's not the nations anymore. It's the family of God. The nations will come together from every type, tribe and tongue, and it will be the family. We're already in the family of God. We already can pray in that relationship, not waiting till heaven. We have that father-daughter, father-son relationship now. And then there's also the submission aspect of it. Children are to be subordinate to the parents. Children are not supposed to be the ones in charge. God, as our Heavenly Father, He is in charge. He's a good father. We don't have to wonder. He's not an abusive father, not a negligent father, not a derelict father. He is a good and great and perfect father, and we're under subordination to His authority. In the Jewish understanding, the patriarch, every buck stopped with the patriarch. It didn't matter if the patriarch was feeble and shaking due to age. They didn't impose their will based on strength. It was based on the position. 
was understood. Boy, do we need to get back to that in this country, amen? Where we actually have respect for position, regardless of power, authority, any of that stuff. Now, God has it all. He not only has the position, he has the authority to back it up. He not only has the authority to back it up, he has the power to back it up. And he doesn't need anyone's permission on any of these things, but he invokes, say, I've invited you into relationship, but as my sons and daughters, you're subordinate to me. I am your heavenly father, the patriarch of the family of God. Number two, so Jesus is saying, start off when you pray. Remember, you've been brought into this relationship, but it's one where you are submitting to the authority, but also in a loving relationship. Number two, hallowed be thy name, or hallowed be thy name. This speaks of worship and honor. Worship. We were created to worship, weren't we? Everyone's going to worship something. Everyone does worship something. Everyone. Some worship their career. Some worship that car in the driveway. Some worship that face in the mirror. You always see that on movies, right? This mug looks great, you know, things like that. Some worship another person. Some worship entertainment and hobbies and pleasure, all of these things. We're created to worship. And Jesus says, put your emphasis of worship on the name of God. Because when his name is prominent, you'll have no other gods before him. And we need to be reminded of no other gods before him. Worship, honor, his name. This is a practice that we'll be doing in all eternity. Actually, we're practicing for eternity because in heaven, if you don't like to worship here, you're really not going to enjoy heaven. We'll be casting crowns before him. We'll be worshiping him. We'll be worshiping his name that is above every name. The name of God keeps us from being distracted by lesser things which are no gods at all. Psalm 8 1 says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth who have set your glory above the heavens. His name is glorious above the heavens. Psalm 148.13, let them praise the name of the Lord for his name alone is exalted. His glory is above earth and heaven. And sometimes if you forget that the name of God is great, you've got to meditate on it a while. His name is great. And Jesus says, when you enter into, enter into prayer, you want to grow in your prayer life, remember to start with your relationship that was been given to you by grace, our Father, and that you are submissive in that relationship, that he is the Lord. And then remember the greatness of God. Worship him. Spend time. If you are in a bad mood, start worshiping. You're out of sorts, start worshiping. Can't, forget, can't remember, why am I doing this anyway? Worship. Hallowed be thy name. Number three, goes on to say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I put these three together. Kingdom come, will be done, earth as it is in heaven. Number three, this is surrender and perspective. Surrender and perspective. D.L. Moody said, let us pray, and as we pray, let us make room for Jesus in our hearts. Make room. His kingdom, his perfection, and his plan for our lives. It's his kingdom. We have nothing to do with the creation of the kingdom of God. We're received into it. It's his kingdom that he invites us into. His kingdom his perfection, we have no perfection to offer. All we bring is dirt, grime, and a mess. His perfection and his plan for our lives. Many people have made plans, but only God's plan is the right plan, perfect plan. Do we trust his work for our lives? This is, this is the question here. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth or in my life, in your life, as it is in heaven. 
do we really trust his plan? That's what some of the heart of what Jesus is speaking to here. Do, are you going to trust his plan? Or are you going to say, no, 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 my will be done? You know, Frank Sinatra sang a song called, I Did It My Way. It's a really cool tune, actually. But the words aren't good. Because no one really gets to do it their way once their life ends, right? And Jesus is saying, now, will you accept today, not in the future, right now, will you accept the will of the Lord, his kingdom, his plan? The things in our lives that he allows are not mistakes. You agree with that? The things he allows in our lives, they're not mistakes. God didn't say, oh, I didn't see that coming. They're not mistakes. The things that he allows, what does he allow them? Well, they're to purify us. They're to mature us. They're to correct us. We need that. They're to refocus us. Parents, you ever have to refocus your kids? God has to refocus us all the time. We get out of focus pretty easy, don't we? They're to conform us to the likeness of Christ, his kingdom, his perfection, his plan. Stanley Jones says, prayer is not pulling God to my will, but the aligning of my will to God. It's us aligning to the will of God. We have to die to our own will. To say our will is flawed. Our will is self-centered. Our will will fail. This part of our prayer is about accepting, and more than that, it's more than accepting. It's part accepting, but it's desiring his lordship in our life. That makes sense? It's more than just accepting his lordship in our life. It's desiring. It's praying that his will will be done. It's praying that his kingdom will come. It's desiring his will for our life, not just accepting it. Think about the angels in heaven. There really are angels in heaven. One time in 2015, I want to do a study on angels. I do. Maybe it's two weeks or something like that. Biblically, because boy, is there some messed up stuff on TV about angels. But there's a lot of truth about angels in the scriptures. But think about the angels in heaven. The angels in heaven, they never say something like this. Um, speaking to God, I'm not sure I agree with this. I'm not sure I agree with that. I think we'd be better off if... That doesn't happen with the angels. This is it. This is the angels. Now, the angels, they literally... Literally and physically, in whatever realm we can understand this, they literally and physically, they see God's power. They see his majesty. They see his throne. They see his holiness. They see his love. They see his perfection. And because of all these things, and by the way, they, got a, they had a chance to actually fall away too, because many of us, obviously Satan and the demons did. But they see all this, and they surrender to his lordship. And they look at it and they see it all. They see the glory of God. And because of that, and they're in the presence of God, they don't offer God advice. They don't tender him some help. They look and say, holy, 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 what do you want us to do? Now we see these attributes of God too. Where do we see them? Right here. We get to see the same attributes of God in his word, but not just there. Once we've come to know the Lord, we start to see them everywhere. We see them in creation. We see them in the birth of a new baby. We see them in people's lives. We see them in the body of Christ. We see them in other places, but primarily we see them in the word of God. And we have to see these things through what? Eyes of faith. The angels don't have to wonder if God is all-powerful. They see personally. We have to believe by faith these things. Jesus said this. He said in John 20, 29, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. 
that we would believe that the will of God is perfect, even though we don't always understand it. That we believe he doesn't make mistakes, even though we don't understand it. That we not only accept the word of, uh, will of God, but desire the will of God. This is surrender. This is the perspective that Jesus wants us to gain. Number four, he goes on. After you understand relationship and submission and you, and you enter in that prayer life through relationship, you worship the Lord, you worship his name, you surrender to his will. Next up, give us this day our daily bread. You might be thinking of lunch right now. Daily bread. I, I do believe that this applies to physical needs as well. Physical needs, but it's not just that. And more importantly, the spiritual need. We do need daily bread. We, we do need to eat. You can only go so long without food before you would die. You can only go so long without water before you would die. We actually need air. There's physical things that we need. We need God to sustain us physically. No doubt about it. And I believe that Jesus is speaking to both. He knows your physical needs but we also have the spiritual needs, and they're both important. In Matthew 6, 8, Jesus says, your father, there's the father again, your father knows the things you need before you ask him. This also begs the question of people, so why am I praying? If he already knows this, go back to relationship. Go, every time you have a question, go back to the start and go back through it again. Why? Because you're in relationship. Why? You need to learn to worship. Why? You need to learn to surrender. Because if we don't pray, we're not in relationship. We're not worshiping. We're not surrendered. And then our prayer life would be a miss anyway. It would just be about ourselves. And we already talked about two of the overarching themes. It's one thing, personal relationship, and one that our prayers would not, as we grow, would not just to be about us. But it would be a lot of our. And we, you look in the Old Testament, the saints of old, like Daniel, praying for his people. Praying, Nehemiah, praying for his people. Moses, praying for his people, not just for their own needs. But we do have personal needs, and we do have physical needs. In Deuteronomy 8.3, Moses, speaking to the children of Israel, said, He humbled you. Listen closely. This is a powerful passage, Deuteronomy 8.3. He humbled you. He allowed you to hunger. And fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Moses speaking to the children of Israel said, he made you hungry on purpose. Then he fed you to let you know that all food comes down from heaven, the physical food, but even more importantly, that your lives would be uh, sustained by the words that proceed from the mouth of God. I love thy law more than thy necessary food. Jesus would quote this same Deuteronomy 8.3 and Luke 4.4 and Matthew 4.4. He would re-quote it twice, or at least it's rewritten twice in the New Testament. We're not just living by bread, but we need the Word of God. You cannot go into prayer life and not also have a Word of God life. This is the point Jesus is making. Someone says, I pray, I just don't read the Bible. If you, there's been so many saints of old who have talked about this topic. Anyone who says they pray but they don't read the Bible do not have a legitimate prayer life. You cannot have a prayer life with God and not have him speaking back to you. Where does he speak primarily to us? Through his word. Will he speak in a still small voice? Absolutely. But that is activated by the bidirectional word and prayer, and both are essential one to another. The word of God. God says, I want you to come to the place that you depend on the word of God. There's times where... Um, I don't feel like reading the Word of God. Is that just me? You ever have time? You'd rather read the National Geographic for the eighth time. Right? Or you'd rather read an hour's worth of Facebook post. Or you'd rather read every single 
portion of the Richmond Times Dispatch, which is easier and easier because now the paper's this thin. But <laughs> it used to be like this thick. And we want to read all kinds of stuff, and God says, come here from me. Uh, I've read those verses before. And when we come with a humble heart and say, Lord, I need, this is actually the only thing that will actually strengthen me, everything changes. I've done that many times where I start, oh, I'll just, I'm going to read for 15 minutes. 45 minutes later, I'm still there. Why? Because I've entered into a buffet table called the Word of God. And then my prayer life is radically affected in a positive way because the Word of God actually fuels the prayer life, and the prayer life fuels the Word of God. And it's a really good cycle. You won't get that. I mean, again, Jesus knows you need the physical food, but you won't get uh, eating a T-bone rarely uh, has a great impact on your prayer life unless it's indigestion. Lord, I'll never do that again. That may be something like that. But spiritual food, you start to read something to encourage you, and you start praying, Lord, I, I want to claim this in my life. I got my old Bible out again, the one that I had from 95, and I uh, was using it from 95 to about 2003. I got it out again yesterday, and I, I, put, uh, I hadn't put highlights in it in like nine years. And I put some highlights in it because I was looking at things that I had claimed back in 1997, and I was highlighting beside it and writing 2014 beside it. And then, because of that, I just started going into prayer over different words and different verses. The Word has that effect. It causes us to talk with our Heavenly Father. Daily bread. Number five. Almost to the bottom of this. Number five. And forgive us our sins. Well, this is a no-brainer. Right? Scriptures say he who has no sin, or he who says he has no sin, is a liar. We all have sin. We came to Christ to be born again because of our sin, but we still, even after salvation, did anyone else sin this week? Yeah. Unfortunately, our imperfection remains until we're caught up into the heavens with the Lord and we'll never have to deal with it again. But until then, we have to constantly keep coming back and be, uh, keep being clean. That shower you took yesterday ain't going to help you a year from now, right? And usually not even 12 hours later or whatever it is. We, just like we have to continually be cleansed physically, we have to continually be cleansed spiritually. Psalm 66, 18 says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. We can't have sin and have a relationship in prayer. The sin always has to be dealt with. There always has to be. They had the, the, in the Old Testament, you had the morning sacrifice and the evening sacrifice every day, all the time, every morning, every evening. Actually, it was evening, then morning, but, uh, but you know, constantly. The smoke going up, the incense for the, uh, for the sins. And you, you and I, we have to continually come back to the Lord and ask Him to cleanse us. It's a daily thing. More than a daily thing, it's multiple times day thing. Continually coming back, Lord, forgive me for that. Now, what about things we don't even know we've done wrong? Well, the Bible addresses that too. Psalm 19, 12, who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Isn't that great that God actually will cleanse us from some things that we didn't even know we did wrong? He will. There's things that actually right now might be in violation of his holiness that God actually gives a stay of grace on and continually forgives until we get to the place he says, all right, that's coming out now. But the things we do know about, the things that we absolutely know, unequivocally, we know their sin, God knows their sin, pretty much everyone knows their sin. Those things, we have to say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. And not just forgive me, but turn from them. And he'll give us his cleansing. 1 John 1, 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that great? We're going to take the Lord's Supper 
uh, in just a uh, few minutes. When we take it, the Bible warns us not to take it in an unworthy manner, which is to say unconfessed sin. Say there's sin uh, that you know that you have, and you haven't confessed it, and you haven't repented from it and turned from it. The Lord says, don't take the Lord's Supper. For this cause, some even get sick, and, and the Lord says, even some even die. That's how serious it is. But the Lord wants us to know that no matter what we've done, you might have blew it royally this week, God will forgive right now immediately. Isn't that great? Brings us to the next point. As we forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Number six, we forgive everyone. Oh, he had to throw this in there, right? I love it when my sins are forgiven. We love that God is gracious and merciful. We're thankful that he's forgiven and continues to forgive our many sins and our failures, and he does not condemn us. We love that. But we've all made enough mistakes. We've all said the wrong thing at the wrong time, not kept our word, offended someone, and we've been appreciative when we've been forgiven, haven't we? And that's just the short list. We could go a lot longer than that. What we really like is when we're forgiven and there truly is no strings attached from another person. We know God doesn't have strings attached. But when another person truly forgives it, forgets it, no strings attached, no bringing it back up as a bargaining chip later. Genuinely forgiven. And that relationship not only restored, but strengthened and improved. You know, when there's real forgiveness, relationships can be better than they ever were before. Not just equal to what they were, better than what they once were. What about when we've been wronged? When we've been wronged. We know God forgives, but what about when we've been wronged? We like being the recipients of grace, but are we committed to being givers of grace? This is what Jesus says. says, your prayer life depends on it. Your prayer life depends on giving grace. This is the hour again. Our Father. You're in the prayer closet by yourself, but you're not in the family of God by yourself. Make sense? We're in the prayer closet by ourselves, but we're not in the body by ourselves. You might be a finger. Someone else might be a foot. When you have an itch, finger meets foot. Right? No idea where that analogy came from, but <laughs> go with it. I saw a picture this week. It was funny. I saw a picture this week of uh, an ink pen. I wish I had one. But you know, on the end of the ink pen, you got that release little button thing that clicks. I saw a picture this week, and it said this. When I do it, it's fun. When you do it, it's the most annoying sound in the world. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Everything we do is okay. We just don't want anyone else to be able to do it. <laughs> Last night, I'm about to go to bed. I spilled an entire glass of water all over the kitchen floor. I was re- it's 10, 14, I'm ready to go to bed. This had to be someone else's fault, I'm thinking, right? <laughs> when, whenever someone else does something, um, we, we want, or whenever we've done something, we want them to forgive us, but then... Is it reciprocal? Are we just as easy to forgive when they have messed up the same way God does for us? Guy H. King, in his book, Secrets of Prayer, he writes this, and this again speaks to our talking with God in prayer. He makes a great point here. He says, in the life of a well-regulated family, Now, this is written years ago, so you'll notice the old English style here. In the life of a well-regulated family, the father will not listen to the request of any one of his children who is squabbling with his brothers and sisters. No favors for the quarrelsome will be his rule. In the higher, more serious realm, the same holds true. First be reconciled is his direction. True? How many parents say to their kids, "I'm I'm not listening to either one of you? If you're going to fight like that, 
No, we're not even going. We're not even leaving the house. Right? God does the same thing. It's a relationship in the body of Christ. He says, all right, you want your prayers answered, and you refuse to forgive, not happening. We are going to, you can't outweigh God. Right? The stare down will not work. Well, I'll just sit here until, God's fine. I'm here for eternity. Your life is but a vapor, so this is not going to go well on our end. So then we realize, I should probably go forgive that person. That's what the Lord's saying. And then the prayer harmony's back, the relationship harmony's back, and not only that, you're, we're miserable when we're holding grudges anyway. You have your own tearing up your own body. Literally, there's science behind that that's not even good for us. And then the last, as we come to a close here, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. What he's saying here, God doesn't lead us into temptation anyway, and I'll share with you proof of that. What the Lord is saying is lead us away from the things that tempt us. Lead us away from those things that tempt us. There's something that tempts everybody. There's multiple somethings that tempt everyone. Lead us away from those things that tempt us. Protect us from ourselves. It's huge here. Protect us from ourselves. Deliver us from the realm of evil. The evil one, as uh, Matthew says, says here as well. The evil one, Satan, what is the evil one? This world, the world system, the world's idolatry, deliver us from those things, but ourselves is at the center of it. Charles Spurgeon said, beware of no man more than yourself. We carry our worst enemies within. Beware of no one, no man more than yourself. We carry our worst enemies within. It's true. We are the one that trips us up the most. We like to find this, but it's not. The devil has never made us do it. And most often, it wasn't his suggestion. Our own hearts lead us astray. I'm not saying Satan's not real. Quite the opposite. I preach the whole scriptures. Satan's absolutely real. He is uh, evil. He is attacking. But more often than not, most often, it's ourself. He's got bigger fish to fry than most people because they are already deceiving themselves, Romans chapter 1. But if we're faithful in each of the aforementioned components that we went through in this prayer, we can be assured, and this is great to know, we can be assured of God's help with these last two critical needs, being delivered from evil and being kept away from things that would drag us into evil being delivered from attacks, and being delivered from either ourselves or outside temptations. We need God's help in both of these things. Jesus says, you're going to... Now, this is, this is a good ask. There's a lot of things that we shouldn't be asking for. Lord, make me a billionaire. Right? You won't find that in Scripture. Lord, keep me from anything that would take me away from you. Well, that's a good prayer, and it's right here. Keep me from things that would actually harm me. Keep me from things that would harm other people. Keep me from myself. Deliver us. We need that. Now, I mentioned as far as temptation goes, God doesn't lead us ever into temptation. He's here to deliver us from it. James 1.13 Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. No one's ever been tempted by Satan absolutely does tempt people. We see it in the Garden of Eden, and even Jesus himself had to deal with it in the wilderness, right? Satan came three times to tempt him. And by the way, here's one thing to know. If Satan tried to tempt Jesus, guess who else he's going to try? Every one of us. And he failed with Jesus. He's not always failed with us, but he'll keep coming. And even though ourselves are our biggest thing, there, isn't, there is an evil realm to deal with. Ephesians 6.12, we see that demonic attacks and demonic forces are real. Ephesians 6.12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness and heavenly places. 
Many of the things that come at us that were not temptations, that they're just trials, that are attacks, that are buffetings, they really do come from the enemy. And we still need deliverance through those things, or we can become bitter and then walk away from God as well. All of these things. And Jesus says, pray that you remain in the right relationship, that I deliver you from these things. But we have to ask for that. We want to, the Lord wants to do it, but he wants us to be in that relationship where we're asking Lord, protect me, keep me. And then the final aspect of this prayer we found over in Matthew's gospel, or this prayer guideline, if you will, in the 13th verse, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And I like that. Even though Luke doesn't record it here, I want to I mention it to close. Uh, Matthew does. And that final reminder, yours is the power and the ears of the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. goes back to the first, our Father in heaven. His power, His kingdom. A final reminder of the very power of God, the very power of Christ, the very power of the Holy Spirit, the power that the gates of hell cannot come against, according to Jesus, will be with us, get this, when we learn to pray, when we choose to pray. The only thing limiting power is are we going to say, Lord, teach us or not? And then if he says, yes, I will, which he will, then we say, your will, and we receive his forgiveness. We receive his relationship. We receive his power. We receive his protection. You see all those things that Jesus goes through, and it all comes to the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's close. Father, we thank you once again. For the instruction of your word, we know that we all need to grow in prayer. We desire to grow in prayer. Lord, we know that the key to these things, you've outlined for us. Lord, we want to grow in our relationship with you. We want to grow in our surrender to you. We want to grow in our worship of you. Lord, we want to confess sins immediately, not let them fester and sit with us. Lord, we want to forgive others. We need to forgive others, Lord, to be in a right relationship with you and with the body. We know that our prayer life is not just us, but our. And Lord, we need your protection. We need you to deliver us from ourselves and deliver us from the attacks of the enemy. Lord, we need the power, your kingdom power, released on earth through the Holy Spirit, found in Acts 1-8. Lord, we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we ask for these things. And Lord, even now, I would ask that you'd cleanse us and forgive us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.